When the White Raven returns. This Native American prophecy that I mentioned in the last video actually has a Nordic parallel. Uh, I learned this just a couple of days ago, uh, I, and then I did a little bit of cursory research and uh, decided to make a third little video in uh, around the raven. So now there's almost a little series. So here's the video about the sign of the coming white raven, specifically from the Nordic perspective. It was the Danish singer Camilla Prince who works with medieval ballads who made me aware of a Nordic uh, medieval ballad where the white raven occurs in a similarly prophetic way as you see it in the Native American prophecy that uh, Einar Selvig of Vardrunga uh, made me aware of some, some time back. And I've just oriented myself a little bit about this particular motif uh, because interestingly the white raven is actually quite widely found and in some kind of surprising places actually. Uh, one of the historically early instances of the white raven motif is an Arabic commented translation of, translation of the Bible where in the Genesis myth Noah sends out the white raven. He then eats carrion but is punished and turned black um, the same motif is, so, motif is also found in Jewish tradition, but dig this, it's also found among the American Ojibwe in the northeastern Ontario, and it's found uh, among the Mansi people in deep Siberia. But here's the thing, like native Siberians and Americans, they aren't all that likely to be reading Madrashic legends and Arabic translations of the Bible, right? So, uh, but, but the... Uh, uh, the article where I read about this, nevertheless, made the mistake I think that you often see from Europeans, or from, perhaps from many peoples, and that is that if there's a similarity there, then it must come from us. <laughs> Humans tend to think outwards uh, from themselves, from their own center. And the idea that stuff has to descend from somewhere and only moves through exchange is called diffusionism. And it's a quite common way of thinking about things. You also see it in Norse studies where if something looks Christian, then the, the, the conclusion is often that then it has to be Christian. Uh, and it is really actually a kind of Eurocentric uh, thinking that, that we are the root of everything. Um, and, 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 and thinking like this is very different from saying, well, White Raven is there and White Raven is also there and perhaps we don't need much of an explanation um, because the facts are that human, humans just tend to think about, about stuff in very similar ways. Um, sometimes in surprisingly similar ways. And I think the White Raven is an example of this. Uh, it's a very specific motif, this exact bird being white in color instead of black. Uh, and there are instances of this motif in South America, in North America and throughout uh, Eurasia. Now what Camilla Prince made me aware of is that there is a Scandinavian ballad, medieval ballad, found in Denmark, Norway and Sweden. And this ballad, interestingly, uh, has very much its own motif. Uh, it seems kind of more fami familiar to the uh, Inuit idea of white ravens as the sort of metaphor, an idiomatic metaphor of saying when, some, when something impossible happens, when ravens turn white. I mentioned this in, in the last uh, video. It's more, the, 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 it's more like that than, for instance, the 
the Middle Eastern motif of uh, the raven eating carrion and then being punished by be becoming black. Uh, the ballad is called Sven i Rosengård, Swain in, in the Garden of Roses. And the story is that Swain returns to his mother with a bloody sword. He has killed his brother and is then outlawed and banished from the land. And then the song asks, when can he return? And the answer is that when a lot of different inversions of standard reality occurs, when all men are dead, when all farmsteads are barren, when stones float and when the seas burn, and when we see white ravens. Now, in my, in my dialogue, or dialoguing with the story, that I would start with a fratricide, killing the brother, because in the North, this is a quintessential image of the broken relation. In the Volusba version of the Ragnarok, it says, Brother munuberias ogarbanum verbas, Brothers shall strike brother and both will fall. This image of ruptured kinship is almost on par, I think, with the burning of the ash tree, the world tree, as an image of collapsed uh, relation. So um, in this story, a man called Swain, a word that possibly, oh, that basically means a lad or a person, almost like saying humanity, has killed his brother. And in my reading, this fratricide means that he has broken the most basic life-giving kinship relation with the world, and he's therefore banished from the land. In a sense, this is our situation. Uh, we have killed our brother, ruptured relationship, kinship with the living world, and we are banished from relation with it. And then what can bring humanity, Swain, back into kinship with the land? The ballad gives us an almost apocalyptic vision of what has to happen. And this might be inflected, actually, by Christianity. I think the Nordic myth and animism often uh, does reflect on the impact of Christianity uh, uh, on relations between humans and other than humans. Uh, the Ragnarok myth is perhaps the most monumental examples, example because it is as if those diverse and multifarious bonds and social contracts that tie the Aesir Vanya deities to the Jotnar giants trolls that when they have been broken, uh, when all these bonds, relations, and contracts are broken, then it is almost as if they start behaving like Christian angels and demons. They, they don't make babies with each other and have games and share wisdom. They descend into this cosmic state of war uh, rather than you know, relating through these different bonds of kinship and social ties. Uh, and I think that from an animist perspective, this inverted world that we see in the ballad, it has a touch of this sort of Christian, uh, Christian rupture. It's definitely an other world that is signaled. It's, it's signaled with the touch of this yeah, Christian feeling as, as ruptured from humanity. This desolate world of the dead where water is fire and stones float and so on. Strong motifs of other. Uh, and one of these signs of the proximity of the other than human is that we see white raven. So in a sense, we could see the white raven here as a sign of the reconnecting, the healing of the ruptured world, a sign of amending of the broken bonds between humans and other than humans. Right? So this Nordic prophecy of the white raven is, I think, quite aligned with the 
Native American prophecy of the White Raven. This white, white Raven hails the rebirth of an animist spiritual connection with, with the land. Um, more than, for instance, the Abrahamic myth of the ravens being blackened as a punishment for eating carrion. Um, this also aligns this uh, particular Nordic raven myth with another one, uh, the one I mentioned in the first of these uh, raven videos. That's a medieval ballad called Raven Leaves Runes, where the raven brings runes across the sea to a knight on a ship. He brings the runes to turn the wind to bring the knight back to a woman who's longing for her knight, who has left her. Again, the raven forges, reforges the connection. Right, but I also want to consider here from a more comparative perspective what it means that the white raven turns black in the creation process where the normal world come, uh, comes into being in the way that it is today. Uh, in Native American myths, one of the reasons giving that uh, uh, ravens are black is that this black bird steals light from heaven and gives it to human beings. Already here, there's something like transformational somehow. It is this darkest of beings from the sky that gives us light. You know, I mean, these Americans, they're pretty turned on in here, pretty connected. And in, in, in another one of these no, the same one, of uh, these in, in, incredibly, I think, wise American myths, Raven uh, transform into human shape, and this enables him to steal the light from the sky and bring it to humanity. Um, Raven is sometimes anthropomorph, in human-shaped in these American myths. He turns bird sometimes when he puts on his mask, uh, again, this deep reflection on the nature of transformation and the mystery here of masking ritual. I think something similar can be reflected in the Nordic myths, where the raven god is anthropomorph. Odin has human shape, uh, but he's also Grimnir, the masked one. And his ravens are named after human mental qualities. Hugin and Munin means thought and memory. Perhaps Odin's mind has raven form sometimes. So the, the whiteness of the raven hints at this world of spirit, that world before light left the heavens and gave us the earthly reality with night and day and shifting between light and, and darkness and so on. And I actually think that, that uh, the eating carrion in the Abrahamic myth is somehow comparable to this Native American myth. Because eating carrion is a very serious break on Jewish law, it's very serious. Devout Jews don't even tan leather because uh, the contact with dead animals is so religiously polluting. Uh, and this transgression uh, of the biblical raven is tricked alive. Like It's a transgressive act of making the world inhabitable for humans. There's almost an implicit suggestion in the biblical myth that raven called up the land. But this transgression is comparable, I think, to the American raven who steals the light uh, from the chief of heaven. And in some version, uh, versions, he is punished by the chief of heaven by being blackened. And this, this eating carrion is also, I think, a very strong symbol of mediation, actually. It is a being from heaven, uh, associated perhaps with God, that does something that is very impure and takes in something that's actually decaying, transforming into earth. So there's a very strong duality between the world and spirit, spirit and the earthly created world in this motif. And 
there's more to say about this, and I won't go into into more detail in in this place. Um, but the point that I want to bring back to the Nordic myth of the white raven is that the white raven represents the spirit world. It's the spirit raven in a sense. And I think, by the way, that this is a common theme throughout humanity, that you see the white animal, the white elephant in Buddhism, the white buffalo, uh, even uh, albino human beings in parts of Africa, and that these are given specific meaning associated with the spirit realm somehow. The protagonist in the Nordic ballad is Swain, human, humanity, uh, and when humanity has broken its kinship ties with the world, then they can be healed by the proximity of the spirit world. This world is signaled by everything being inverted, and one of those signs is significantly the white raven. And I think this white raven motif is, is one that's very alive in our age, actually. Uh, and this sometimes happens, you know. All of a sudden, there's like four or five amazingly well-produced international movies out there, which all seems to deal with exactly the same animist motif. For instance, the marriage to a sea spirit, you know. But there's no way that these extremely different productions can have that kind of contact, right? Sometimes these mythic motifs are just steering in the deep somehow, and some humans know how to listen. Typically you have artists who are already, you know, a tad crazy, you know, they've been touched by Odin a little bit, have a streak of oh, the visionary madness in them somehow. And yeah, I totally feel that, that the White Raven is such a mythic motif that is steering in the deep just at this historic moment. Uh, the White Raven is manifesting, is coming in a sense, and people are seeing it. Because these different artists seem to be hearing this call of White Raven. Primarily, of course, uh, Vardruna Sainaselvik. And his very personal connection to White Raven has led him to monumentally release a whole album named uh, Quidram, uh, White Raven, that uh, has come out recently. Uh, but there's actually also uh, a new uh, recording of the ballad that I'm talking about here, uh, Sven Rosengård. Um, it, just, it was made just in 2020 by Garmana, a band that I remember fondly back from the first wave of this Nordic ambient folk music that happened back in the 90s. Uh, in those days it was opened, uh, that wave, by a Swedish band called Hedningerna, the Heathens. And boy, I, I remember when I first heard that music. I was like 17 years or something and I lived in deep Sápmi in far northern Norway. Um, and when I first heard like the first segment of the first song on one of the albums, uh, I think they're chanting out of the Kalevala, the Finnish epis, and I was just completely sold right away, you know? And I think a lot of people felt like that. And, and this started sort of a wave of this kind of music, and Gardvaner was part of it, uh, but apparently they're still around. Uh, but, the, but, the, but the times were different then. Uh, this heading on a wave didn't travel as far abroad and it was also less consciously spiritual, I think, than the present wave that we might call the Vardruna wave, uh, which in a similar way was opened actually by Selvig and Vardruna, uh, who has, I think, you know, given this present wave a feeling of like this very serious, devout spirituality to it. <clears throat> and yeah, so... I think what, what we're seeing right now in this historic moment is that this motive of the white raven is manifesting through different producers of culture, 
Uh, also myself, of course. Uh, I was working on this Raven project for quite some time. Uh, I think my first sketches where I was playing around with the human vertebrity uh, date all the way back to 2014. Uh, and around mid last year, uh, in, in 2020, uh, I was doing a big postdoc application on this project on Raven totemism. So it's a motif that really wants to speak into our age, I think. And uh, I see this as the white raven returning. I spoke to a very cognizant uh, Aboriginal Australian elder who uh, said that she strongly felt that it was as if uh, something was flowing, manifesting geographically out of Scandinavia right now. And I think perhaps the white raven could be seen as an image of that. You know, the raven that leads us into what these Oxford scholars, Thomas and Patricia Thornton, has named the raven scene, the age of raven, the age where we need the voice of raven to lead us into the encounter with these multiple collapses. But also the wisdom. The raven is a symbol of wisdom, and you see this persistently in, in throughout Nordic folklore. Uh, and this coming of white raven is a, a sign that we as majority populations, your descendants, must start looking towards our traditional wisdom and create progressive, kind alternatives to modernity. Um, I'm also working, by the way, myself on a Raven project in collaboration with a Danish uh, music group called Galdele. And we want to show this Nordic symbol from its trans-ethnic side, a symbol that brings people together. Uh, and we're working on a composition to do this. So uh, I hope to continue to contribute to this signaling of the White Raven in our time. Thank you very much for listening. See you around.